There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. I want you to take them to the book of Jude. Last week, uh, we started out on this small little epistle of Jude. And so we're going to spend the next, this morning and two weeks after in this little book. And as, as I have studied it and dug even deeper into it, it does not do it justice. I feel like there's certain parts of it uh, that we will have to glibly go over. And, uh, uh, but we will do that for time constraints. If you would please stand in honor and reverence of God's word if you're able. Jude chapter number 1. And we're going to pick up reading. Why don't we just start from the beginning? We'll read down through verse number 11. Our main focus of emphasis will be in verse 5 through 11. But let's pick up reading at the beginning of this little epistle of Jude. Jude 1, Jude, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. You ought to underline that. You ought to read it about every other day. Preserved. Reserved. You are in Christ, protected unto the day of redemption. Notice what he said. And called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And the angels which kept not their faith, first their, their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day." Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also those filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he dis- uh, disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what They know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone in the way of Cain 
and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Last week we looked at the identification in Jude. He identified God. He identified Jesus Christ. He identified the saints. He identified the subtle usurpers that were coming into the church. Today, I want us to look at the observation of Jude. The observation. What is Jude seeing in the church? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. I, I cannot wait to get into your word this morning. God, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Ignite this message in our hearts. God, let us gear up to be contenders of the faith. Don't let us waver. Don't let us go back and forth. But God, let us be contenders for the truth of God. Let us not lose the glory of the gospel. Speak to hearts. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. There's an old saying that goes like this. Everything old is new again. There's a French proverb that says something along that line. Here, I bet you could guess it. The more things change, what? The more they stay the same. You see, it's funny how that in pop culture that there are popular and that which is popular and trendy has a way of going out of style and then what? Coming right back into style. Styles that were considered cool when I were a kid are starting to make their way in fashion. Man, if I'd have kept all those clothes, even if I did, I couldn't wear them, I'm too fat now. But man, if I'd have kept all those clothes, I could have made a fortune on all of, of the, the little things that I kept as a kid. But it seems like things are going in and back out of style. My, listen, my tie closet is a virtual historical monument to the passing of styles. I have skinny ties that date back to when I was uh, trying to uh, keenly get the interest of my wife. I have fat ties, and sure enough, they're going back to skinny ties all over again. I got the whole gamut in my tie collection in the past summer. You know what last year's summer hit was, don't you? It was the, the little short TV series on Netflix called Stranger Things. I loved it. It was scary and everything, but it was set back in the 80s. You know why I loved it? Because it felt like I was a kid again. Everything that was familiar to me came back and is popular again. I think this is the point that Jude is trying to get across in this section of the letter. He's talking about the cycle of things. The things that come again and again. What did the uh, author of Ecclesiastes say in 1, I think verse 9? Uh, it's, it says that there is nothing new under the sun. That it all comes back again. Even when it comes to false doctrine and false teaching. Jude wanted to come in here and write a letter about that common salvation. He wanted the church to look at Calvary. He wanted them to see the grace of God and the mercy of God exhibited on the cross. But then he had to put on the brakes. The Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to write and address the church concerning false doctrine, false teachers, and deceived believers. But in order to do so, he started by looking at the past. It seems as though 
when Jude looked at the church, he saw a replay of what the Bible has already said. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that when we look at society, when we look at the world around us, there is nothing new under the sun. That the same old false doctrines, the same old rebellion finds its way coming back again and again and again. What is going on in his day could be observed in days gone by in the Word of God. This is valuable uh, for us because here's the truth. Satan doesn't change his playbook. He doesn't change what he is attempting to do. Now he might use different means. He might have different and more modern instruments. He might have different social contexts. But his tactics are exactly the same. And that's what Jude is saying. He's saying look in the past and you will see what is happening today. And so I want us to see three observations that Jude made concerning false doctrine and, the, and what was plaguing the church at the time. Number one, I want you to see that Jude, uh, the, the biblical similarities that Jude saw. The biblical similarities that Jude saw. I want you to notice with me by here in verse number four. He said, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our Lord Jesus into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number four gives us the reason for the letter. God deniers. Christ deniers that have crept into the church and Jude is, is, uh, is act actively activating them uh, to contend to the faith. He's saying, church, wake up. You've got to be alert. You've got to be diligent. You need to contend for the faith. You need to argue the faith. You need to, without being argumentative, you need to contend. Don't give up any ground when it comes to to the faith once delivered uh, to the saints. One of the aspects of the fall is that we are a forgetful people. Notice with me verse number 5. He said, I will therefore put you in remembrance though ye once knew this. You see, I over the years I have continuously tried not to be overly repetitious in the relaying of truth and the preaching of message to you, yet there is a part in the call of a minister to constantly remind people of God's truth that they've already learned. Again, and again and again. Paul said, I will remind you. Peter said, I will remind you. Here Jude says the same thing. Jude is calling on these biblical stories that they should be familiar with. And we should be too. As an example of what's going on in the church. So I want to give you these biblical illustrations, if you will. Number one, I want you to see the first verse, in verse number five, is a picture of the unconverted. The unconverted. Look with me in verse number five. I will therefore put you in, rem put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this. Listen to this. How that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Notice. 
There, uh, there is a reminder. He points them back to the children of Israel coming out of Egyptian bondage. How many of you know the story? How many of you know the, the story of the children of Israel who were invited down during the time of the, uh, of the famine and Joseph took care of them in Goshen? But how as centuries went by, uh, the people of God became slaves to the Egyptian people and were under the whips of the taskmasters. And so they cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard their cry and God responded. He sent a deliverer in the person of Moses. You remember what Moses did? He went to Pharaoh, let my people go. He wouldn't do it. And so God sent what? Plague after plague after plague after plague. With every plague, Pharaoh's heart hardened until he let the people go with the intent of demolishing them all at the Red Sea. And they go out to the Red Sea. You know how the story goes? They go out to the Red Sea and God parts the waters and they walk on dry land and then when the Egyptians try to go the same path, the waters come crashing down and drown all of the Egyptians that went after them that day. The Hebrews, I want you to understand something, that on the other side of the Red Sea, the Hebrews that were there were not all of God's children. Even though they had been saved from Egypt's bondage. Even though they had come through the Red Sea. They were not all believers. Listen to this. Exodus 12.36 And a mixed multitude went up also with them. So doubt, uh, no doubt for a myriad of reasons. Maybe it was the plagues. Maybe they said, man, after this tenth one, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I've had it. Pharaoh can have it. I'm going with these folks. They seem to know something I don't. Maybe, maybe it was because of all, all of the, the benefits. You know, as the, as the children of Israel were leaving Egypt's land, what happened? All of the people of Egypt began to give their stuff to the Egyptian people, to the children of Israel. I mean, it was like everybody was giving their riches to God's people. It's like they were spoiling the land of the Egyptians without ever raising a sword. And so maybe some of the Egyptians say, hey, they're making a killing. I think I'm going to go with them. And they'll take off and they'll pack up their family and say, oh, by the way, we're leaving too. Give me your stuff. And so whatever the reason, there was a mixed multitude that left that left out of Egypt's land, uh, that crossed the Red Sea, that stood at Mount Sinai when God gave the wall, that came all the way to border at Canaan. The only problem is they did not come by the blood of the Lamb. They did not hear the message of Moses that said take the firstling of the flock and kill it and place the blood on the lintels and the doorposts. They may have looked like the children of God. They may have acted. They may have been walking in the same direction. They may have been with them the whole time. But they were not of them. They were unconverted. They'd never come by the blood. They've never applied the blood to the lintels in the doorposts of their heart. They slipped in with God's people and became a source of contention and strife. Where do you think all of the whining and complaining, all the links and onions and cucumbers, that's why cucumbers are, are sinful, cucumbers, and you've got to be baptized in pen vinegar to be a real, a real believer. It's my cucumber message, you need to hear it sometime. Pull me over at church, I'll, I'll preach it to you. 
But uh, oh, we want the cucumbers and leeks and onions of, of, of Egypt's land. Oh, Moses doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, uh, we, we're going to die in this wilderness. We need food. We need water. And then when they came to the borderland of Canaan, who was it that cast out? I believe it was this mixed multitude that planted seeds in the minds of not only those from Egypt, but those that believe God to balk at God in faith. And what were they doing? What did God do about them? He killed them all in the wilderness. The mixed multitude killed them all in the wilderness. Remember what it was? Uh, those that were below 20 years of age except Joshua and Caleb were to die in the wilderness, not going into the promised land. And God, God killed not only the mixed multitude, but He killed genuine believers that were duped by the mixed multitude. What is Jude saying here? Jude is saying that the same thing is going in the church. It is being infiltrated by people who have never been to Calvary, who have never applied the blood, who have never believed on Jesus. Notice what it said in verse number 5. It said that when the Lord brought them out, He saved the people. I don't believe that's the same salvation uh, that comes uh, by believing on Jesus Christ because obviously in verse number 5 it said they didn't believe. God transplanted them. God brought them out of Egypt, which could be considered saved, but they did not believe. What I'm trying to tell you is they had made an ascent. They had become a banana and joined the bunch. Uh, they came in and looked like everybody else, but they were not God's people. They did not believe. They are unconverted. You know why so many churches go down the wrong road as far as doctrine and preaching and, and what is truth and what is not? How come so many people uh, get crossways on the deity of Jesus Christ, the supremacy of our God, the sovereignty of our God? I'll tell you why. Because there's a mixed multitude in the church today that have come in, crept in unawares. That's the example that Jude is giving unconverted people in the pews. For a long time in history, church was tied to government. And therefore, in order to be a citizen of a nation, you had to be baptized and be a member of the church. That's where a lot of this uh, 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 infant baptisms and things of that nature come from. And it filled the churches in bygone days and even in our day and time today, it fills the church with unconverted people. One of the biggest problems in our churches today is the people that identify with the church, that say they're a part of the Christian faith and are unconverted. They've never been to the cross. Notice also, he said not only the unconverted, but the unholy. Verse number 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in, in everlasting chains under darkness uh, unto the judgment of the great day. Here is another, another example of biblical similarity. Satan and his angels. 
Isaiah 14 tells us that Lucifer was once the chief musician. His voice made manifold sounds to praise and glorify God in heaven. But he lifted up his heart in pride against God. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven and will exalt my throne above the stars of God and will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend like the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high for this is for this he was cast out of heaven. Revelation 12, 3-4 replays this scene for us in prophetic utterance when it tells the story of the woman uh, that gave birth to the Christ child and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the, the dragon going after the Hebrew people. It speaks of this incident and how that one third of all the angelic hosts went with Lucifer. That's where we get the demonic forces on this earth. Satan is not God. He's not omnipresent. But he depends on a myriad of demonic forces and spirits around this earth to do their unholy deeds. They were, they lost their habitation in the presence of God. They tasted the things of God. They saw the, the visage of God. They enjoyed the, the place of God. And yet they did not embrace God. In pride, they rejected God, rebelled against God. And for this, they are reserved in change to everlasting darkness awaiting final judgment. There's a detour we could go through, chase down a rabbit. I believe that this ties in with, I believe, Genesis 6 where many of the demon angels come and, and manifest their, their demonic forces with the women of the world producing a strange flesh. And one of the reasons why the flood came was to wipe that out. And, and in 1 Peter, I believe it talks about many angels being bound and reserved into destruction. Yes, there are a lot of demons in this world, but God bound a whole bunch of them and reserves them to destruction. And so here we find another example of what is taking place in the church. The example of some that have crept in the church. They have sampled. They've come close to the kingdom and yet have refused and rejected God's rule, preferring to attempt to lift themselves Above God. They think they know better than God. They've come to the glories of heaven. They've sampled the things of God. And they said, no, I think I can get something better. Here, uh, Jude is telling us that they are reserved in judgment, in chains of sin and bondage for the wrath to come. John 6.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth upon him. Notice not only the unconverted, the unholy, now the ungodly. Look in verse number 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Here there is a reference to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. I was perusing some of my Bible computer programs, and I've got different people that have preached through the book of Jude, and I look at them, see what they said. One particular fella was real soft on the book of Jude, was real brief and real easy on the book of Jude. He was, I was perusing, and he got to verse number seven, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, and said, 
Well, these enjoyed the blessings of God. But because uh, they didn't obey God, those blessings were turned away. Boy, if that's a soft answer, I ain't never heard one. Here, Jude is somewhat graphic in what he talks about. He talks about their fornication. They're going after strange flesh. It's not necessarily because of their unbelief, although that's part of it. It, it comes to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which many prefer to tiptoe around like the elephant in the room and point to the fact that uh, the Scripture says, well, Sodom and Gomorrah was inhospitable. Well, if, 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 if I visited the town and somebody wanted to rape me, uh, yeah, I'd say it's un, un, unhospitable. Yeah, but the problem with the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, we cannot get past the fact that it was abject fornication, sexual sin. He said, use the word fornication here. It is, a, it is a sin of fornication in general and homosexuality in particular. They gave themselves to the, here's the word fornication, ekporneu, to be utterly unchaste, to give oneself over to fornication, to sexual immorality. To further expose the sin, Jude went further and said they went after strange flesh. New Testament scholar A.T. Robertson said of the phrase strange flesh, this is what he said, horrible licentiousness, not simply with women and not with their wives but in, or in other nations, but even unnatural usages, usage for which the very word sodomy is used. He references Romans 1.27 where Paul said, And likewise also men having the natural, leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of error which was mate. For this sin Jude tells us how not only the temporal judgment fell. We've all read Genesis. We've all read how the fire came from heaven and burned up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Jude goes further and says, vengeance of eternal fire. Make no mistake about it. There is an agenda of the apostate, of the false teacher, of the false teaching that is to undermine the authority of God in the realm of sexuality and to give lenience to the most debased and depraved sinful sexual conduct. We see it every day plastered on the news feeds, on the television, what is trying to be made acceptable in our day and time. Jude says it is nothing more than the old Sodom and Gomorrah play that Satan makes upon the church. John Phillips related the increase of sexual decadence to the coming of Christ and said the increasing tolerance of our uh, society towards these ancient sins is an ominous, ominous indiction that indication that we are standing on the doorstep of the apocalypse, of the coming of the Son of Man. Jude gives us biblical similarities and says Satan hasn't changed his ploy. To bring people to destruction. To bring the church into implosion. He will rob it from within side. Notice also we see the beastly qualities he saw. 
Jude saw beastly qualities. Have you ever heard of the term character assassination? It is defined as the malicious and unjustified harming of a person's good reputation. Look with me at verse number 8. Likewise also, those filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Look at verse number 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but, the, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Man! Whew! That's hot talk about other people right there. That's really talking down upon some folks. Uh, what, are, are we reading here Jude? Just, I used to know a pre, uh, preacher years ago. I won't name who it is. But he said, if I want to split my brain, you know, he's talking hard on sin and naming names and, and uh, opened a can of, uh, of just all over that congregation. You know what I mean? He's just laying it out flat. And he said, if I want to split my britches on this pulpit, I'll split my britches. I mean, he was just laying it to them. Is that what Jude's doing here? A character assassination? I want you to understand that Jude is not doing such. Uh, of certain, uh, not assassinating the character of certain people that, that may be that he, he seems to think that are differing views on Scripture. No, he is performing a character, not an assassination, a character revelation. He's pulling the top off by the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the inspiration of God. He's revealing what he knows about these false teachers, these apostates. Number one, we see a railing depravity, verse 8 and 9. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh and despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Jude does not mince words in his epistle as so many are prone to do in these days, particularly on these topics. He is very direct and he connects the behavior of those in Sodom and Gomorrah with the word likewise. Verse number 7 is about Sodom and Gomorrah, their wickedness. And he says likewise. These filth- That's probably why the, the commentators added the word filthy there. Displaying the disdain for the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. These filthy dreamers. Here we see the word dreamers. You know the word just simply means to be asleep. To be in a dreamlike state. To be horizontal with the eyes closed. These false teachers are just dreamers. Have you ever stared at the news story on the television and think, how in the world? Let you take for example the Methodist denomination. I deeply admire John Wesley and his his perseverance of the gospel, his love of Jesus Christ. I might not agree with every jot and tittle that he wrote, but he was a man that loved the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he saw what is taking place in the Methodist church today, he would roll over in his grave. It is, it, it is wicked and abominable. And you, you wonder, I mean like, you call yourself Methodist. Your great leader was John Wesley, a preacher of sin and righteousness and, and a preacher of God's justice and His demands. How in the world 
do they come to the point where this summer they say, time out. We're going we're gonna to take a time out on the whole gay issue and come back next year, or 2018, yeah, 2018 next year, and try to make a decision on whether we're going to marry gay people and whether we're going to have uh, homosexuals in the ministry and whether we're going to ordain uh, lesbians. We're going we're gonna to hold off on How do they get to that? Jude tells us. Filthy dreamers. Yes, they pull it out of thin air. Verse 10 says it's their natural thinking. It's not thinking by the Spirit of God. It's natural thinking. If it feels good for me, if it builds up who I am and what I like, it, it tickles my fancy, then it must be good. Pick it out of thin air and place it alongside God's Word. They just conjure the stuff up. They're just like a dream. They're figments of the imagination. Notice he used the word. Notice their depravity. In verse number 8, they defile the flesh. They defile the flesh. They contaminate the flesh. The sexually transmitted disease is pervasive in our society. And by the, by the, uh, the, the, the church loosening its church discipline on things like premarital sex and, and homosexuality and se- uh, sex before marriage and, and divorce and, and th- when the church has lowered its walls and guard, it defiles the flesh because sexual disease permeates society then. Remember, we're to be salt, preserving Preserving salt. Here, to a lesser degree, young pe- most young people have sexually transmitted disease before they exit high school in our day and time. The sexually, pre- what, what they're wanting to do is to give the pavloma virus uh, uh, injection to all of our daughters, and all, uh, saying, "You want to save them from cervical cancer? It's just, a, it's just natural. You're going to give them this shot." That they're not going to be pure until they're married. That they're not going to uh, abstain from fornication, sex outside of marriage. No, they want them to get a shot. That's where we are in this society. Where, where sexually transmitted diseases are rampant in among our, our culture and our pe- people. They also despise dominion. Verse number 8, they defile the flesh. They despise dominion. The word despise here means to think little of. It doesn't mean, I despise you, I hate you. No, it means to disregard. To not count as important. To give it no authority, no lordship, no power. The word uh, can also be translated government. They have a disregard for the God-ordained powers that rule in a nation. Don't we see Don't we see a society... I mean, there's been a few times here lately I've wondered about anarchy in our nation uh, against our police force and against our government and against our our soldiers and our, our protections that God has laid out in society. They have no regard for that. No regard for government. No regard for God-ordained places of of law and order. They resent the rule of God. They resent the rule of the Bible. They resent the rule of the church. Years ago, we had to go through church discipline. And and, and, listen, we've had to do that a couple of times. Go through church discipline. And uh, down through the years, or at least threatened church discipline, one one went really uh, well. It It acted the way it was supposed to. One did not. And they just left the church. You know why? 
Because yeah, there's, no, there's no regard for God. There's no regard for the authority of Scripture. No regard for the church. It's laid aside and counted as nothing. They despise. They despise uh, they despise dominion. Then they, then they speak evil of dignities. They vilify and blaspheme that which is good. The word dignifies is the word glories. Doxa. Doxology. They vilify. They talk evil against the glories. That which is praiseworthy. That which is glorious. They vilify and insult and disparage. Isaiah saw this long before when he said in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that would put darkness for light and light for darkness, put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isn't that what our society does? They take that which is sweet and say that's bitter, that's awful, that's legalistic, that is something uh, that has put people in bondage, and they take that which is bitter, which is in result of sin, is always death and pain and bitterness and, and regret and they exalt that and say oh that is sweet that is light they claim themselves to be the ones that are enlightened and cannot sit down and have a discussion and honest debate without name calling and sucking their thumb and kicking the, uh, their feet like babies they won't have a logical approach to anything they won't reason with anyone they, they need a safe space where everybody thinks the same thing. A railing depravity. Out of their mouths they spew venom on those who are not on board with them. A repulsive personality. Verse number 10 is really coupled with a verse number. I didn't even get into the whole Michael thing. I don't want you to think I skipped that verse. So I want to add 15 minutes to the message here. Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil disputed about the body of Moses. Does not bring against him a railing accusation. This is not found anywhere in your Old Testament. And that's okay. Paul knew things about Janus and Jamborees that's not in the Old Testament. And it's in 1 Corinthians. He had insight into that. There are other places in the New Testament where things are brought to mind by Holy Spirit inspiration that are true, that are not written in the Old Testament. This is one of those things. I, don't, I can't explain all of it. But evidently Michael the great archangel of heaven came down. Remember Moses when he died made sure that nobody knew where the body was. Why? Because sure enough if they knew where the body was they'd bring it out and worship it. They'd worship Moses' bones. And so it is left to, uh, to we just don't know where Moses is buried. Well Jude gives us insight into the fact that, uh, that Michael came down to evidently protect the body. Maybe to make sure nobody finds it. Satan would want it. Because he would want to parade it in front of the Israelites and say, here's your Moses, bow down and worship it. But there was a contention, a clash between the two. And it says that Michael did not bring a railing accusation. A constant accusation. The word railing here. I thought I had it in my notes. Uh, uh, but it, it means a slanderous, I believe, a slanderous accusation. Even, here's, here's what Jude is saying. When Michael, the archangel, faced Satan in a dispute over Moses' body, he would not make it personal. He did not bring a slanderous response to the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke him. That's it. Here's what he's trying to say. 
is even the person that deserves slander, that deserves a reviling and a railing accusation, the devil himself, Michael wouldn't do it. But these people, back in verse number 8, they bring reviling accusations whenever they can. That's, that's what verse number 9 is all about. A comparison there. And then the repulsive personality. In verse number 10, it said, But these speak evil uh, of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brood beasts in those things they uh, corrupt themselves. Jude sums up their beastly qualities by saying they speak evil of the things they don't know. So many people condemn Christianity that know so little about it. So many that refuse the Bible have never sat down and read it. So many that scoff at the resurrection of Jesus Christ have never studied its merits. But you know why? Because when they go down that path, they usually come back converted in Jesus Christ. I got a, I got a, a book I'm reading right now. It's got a whole little chapter on people that went down to set to prove the resurrection wrong. They came back born again. But they don't, they don't understand these things. They only know what their natural mind deduces. Whatever their depraved minds can come up with, that is what they run with. If there is not, if there is not objective, if there is not objective meaning to things uh, uh, of this world, then there is only subjective meaning in this world. Subjective. That's where we live. You ever heard the thing, there is no real truth? You know, there's only true for you and true for me. That's subjective philosophy. What's good for me might not be good for you. What's good for you might not be good for me. But we can live and let live. But really, it, it, they're, they're looking to convert you to think what they think. Here, he's saying in verse number 9, they speak evil of things they know nothing about. All they know about is what they feel. It says in verse number 10, uh, they know not, and what they know naturally, what they feel with their senses, their hands, their, their feet, their eyes, their nose, their tongue, what they know to be. If a guy feels like he is a woman deep down inside, that this society says it's perfectly fine for him to dress like a woman, talk like a woman, act like a woman, go to the women's restroom if they want to. Why? Because it's just what truth is, is what they feel. Jude calls such people brute. The word brute means irrational, unthinking, unreasonable, and then he calls them animals. Such thinking does, not, uh, does bring us to a level of the existence of animals. You know, that's what they do. They look to nature. And they see, they see barn animals doing crazy stuff, and they say, see, it's perfectly acceptable uh, uh, for two roosters to get it home. Why can't we? They look at nature and they say, look at all these things in nature. Why? We're nothing else but an animal. That's what evolution teaches you. You're nothing different than an animal. So why shouldn't it be okay just to do what you want? In doing so, they not only do, do they defile the flesh of others, but they corrupt, defile, destroy their own flesh. Verse number 10. It said they corrupt themselves. Verse number 8, it said they defiled the flesh in general. By their teaching, they defiled the flesh of others. Here in verse number 10, it says they defiled their own flesh. 
They defile their own flesh. They defile, they destroy their own flesh. It is truly repulsive, a truly repulsive sight to see the depraved, sinful will of man taken to its absolute extreme. And yet, it is to be paraded and celebrated with, with, with events and accolades in every avenue of society. A biblical, the biblical similarities he saw. Children of Israel. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. The fallen angels. The beastly qualities that he saw in these folks. Their personality. Their preferences. Finally, I want you to see the basic identity he saw. One of my favorite I shouldn't say that. I'm not going to say that. You've seen them cop shows, right? And how the cop shows, they, they have a victim there, and they'll say, well, we're going to get you together with an artist, and we're going to put together, what, a composite sketch, right? And so they, they sit down with the ar- ar- uh, 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 artist, and they say, well, was he this race or that race? Or, well, did he, was he bald, or did he have hair? Or did he have a mustache? Did he have a beard? Did he have a high forehead? Did he have high cheekbones? Did he have, you know... Tell me the distinguishing features. And the artist will sit there and I, just, I don't see how they do it. I couldn't do it to save my life. But they come up with a sketch. And this is what the culprit's supposed to look like. Or, or maybe they bring a lineup. You know, the usual suspects walk across the thing. Everybody turn to your left. Everybody say, hey, stop, put down that gun or something like that. And they, they, they say something of the crime, you know, so that the, the witness can look at them real close and say, aha, that's the guy that did it. Jude is giving us a composite sketch. He's he's bringing a line up in front of us in verse number 11. He says, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and have perished in the gainsaying of Korah. He gives us a composite sketch of likeness. First of all, we have Cain. It's the lust for preference. Preference. The picture here is of Cain. You know who Cain is. Cain is the firstborn of all men. The first child born on this planet of Adam and Eve. Do you remember the story how that Abel was the second born and he worshipped God uh, with a lamb, bringing a sacrifice of a lamb. No doubt he learned that from Adam who indeed learned that from God. That's how you worship God as far as Adam and as far as Abel are concerned. And so Abel brings his sacrifice to God and God says that's good. It's right, it's acceptable. But Cain, Cain wanted to bring in the grain of the field. He wanted to do it his way. He wanted to bring the fruits of his labor. And God refused it. The way of Cain is the way of personal preference. It seems to be the king today. But it is a reflection of the high-minded, unteachableness, delicatessen, that we want to take approach to the Bible. I'll take this. I like Jesus. and I take peace. And I like grace and love. Don't give me any of that judgment and soul winning. I'll take a little bit of this over here. They want a Piccadilly approach. They, they, want, to, they, want, it, they want it like Burger King to have it their way. This is the preference of those that lord over the Bible. They say, well, <laughs> that part about women preachers. <laughs> 
You just have to learn, you just have to know the context and the mindset of Paul. We can negate that. We can negate this to cultural this. We can do this over here. We can do that here. Listen, I understand there's some things of the Bible when we study it that are, uh, that are superseded, that change throughout according uh, to the ceremonial and the customary law of the Old Testament. That is complete in Jesus Christ. The New Testament is clear about that. But these are people that lord over the Bible and say, well, you can't believe that's just cultural stuff. We just skip right over that women preacher thing. We just skip right over that homosexual. That Romans chapter 1, Paul was in vindictive. He was a closet homosexual anyway. And so, uh, we can just ignore Paul right there. No, no, no. But that's, that's the mindset. It's a, a preference. This is the preference of those. Uh, they, they, they reject God's Word. They reject the terms of God. They reject the blood sacrifice. Uh, they, he hated his brother according to the flesh. This is the preference of those that lord over the Bible and reject it. Those that reject the blood atonement for sin. And they teach other ways to God. They, they dictate that their only way to God is according to their own personal preferences. I'm telling you what, a good litmus test. False doctrine is to dip it down and say, is Jesus the only way to heaven? If they give you any other answer than John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You keep on walking. You keep on going. But these people want a preference. They want something different. They want to do it their own way. They, want the, they think they know better than God's Word, God's command, God's example. Cain, the lust of preference. Balaam, the lust of prosperity. Verse number 11, it said, And ran greedily after the error of Balaam and for reward. Notice that Balaam, Balaam is an enigma in the Old Testament. If you really want to scratch your head, you start studying Balaam. Here is a man that heard the voice of God. God spoke to this man. He was somewhat, God had revealed things to this man. God even revealed prophecy to this man. And he, like a donkey, gave that prophecy. But he himself was unlearned, was a wicked man. He was hired by Balak to come and put a curse on the people of God. God told him not to go. But he went through and went through, went through with it anyhow. Even when a donkey said, don't go. He said, I'm going to ignore the donkey and I'm going to do what I want to do. Why? Because there was money at stake. He could put the curse. And when he got there, he tried to put a curse on the people. God turned the curse into a blessing. Every time he tried it, God turned it into a blessing. Finally, when he realized he couldn't curse the people of God for Balak, he devised a plan. Got to keep that money. I, I ain't going to lose the money in this deal. He devised a plan for the downfall of God's people. You know what? And it worked. They sent women, harlots, among the people of God. They fornicated and God judged, God judged His people. But Balak was all about the money. Why was he so persistent? Why did he, he did not heed the voice of God? Well, he was a lust of prosperity. So many of the cults today are driven with this lust for money. They will blind people with false teaching and then forbid them from critically thinking or listening to other arguments, tie their eternity to their books and their literature while the leadership makes billions on a blinded and chained people. You take, for example, one of my favorite stories of this, Mary Baker Patterson Eddy, the founder of the, of the uh, Christian science cult, which is neither Christian nor science. She wrote this book called, the, I think, The Doctrines of Christian Science, or The Teaching of Christian Science. 
and, and, and got a myriad of followers, sold, uh, sold thousands of copies of this book in the 1800s. When her coffers got low of money, whoo, divine inspiration, she would change one line in the book, revise it, then tell all of her believers, God has given me another revelation, and it would be a one-sentence change in the book, and they were forced to buy the book. Coffers filled again. That's just an example of what goes on day in and day out. Why do people teach false doctrine? Why do people set up churches that teach nothing? Because the God racket makes money. You can make, I ain't found any of it yet, but you can make money if you tell people what they want to hear. You can make money. You can, hey man, Kayla, that's right. You can fill churches when you say nothing but what Joel Osteen says. You can draw a crowd when you give health and wealth and blessings and, and all of these things with it. And you do not teach the full counsel of God's Word. There's money in the God racket. And that is the way of Balaam. And then Korah. Korah is the lust for power. Look at the last one. A perishing in the gainsaying of Korah. The less familiar story of these three is Korah. Korah was a Levite, a member of the tribe of Levite, set apart to minister the spiritual needs of God's people in the Old Testament. He was a cousin of Aaron and Moses. Jude accuses him of gainsaying, which means to contradict. The word pictures a vigorous opposition. Possibly opposition by action as well as word. He was jealous of Moses and Aaron's God, a promoted God, designed a level of power and authority, jealous of God's anointing on them, jealous of the high priest, and he could not understand why he could not be that priest. And in rebellion, he led a revolt against Aaron and Moses. And God ended it when He caused the world to yawn. Take them all to hell. Korah with 200 men. The earth opened up. Numbers chapter 16, 17. I think it's 16 right in there. The earth yawned. And Korah fell to hell. In the uttermost parts of the earth. Here we see the desire for power. Authority. What drove James Jones in the 70's to take his cult group to Guyana and live in this confine and keep these people in prison and rather than leave he killed them all with cyanide Kool-Aid power authority Paul did not come with such Paul did not come with we talked about it in Sunday school. He did not come with an agenda. He did not come with a false plan. He did not. He came openly with the truth of the gospel. He preached Christ and not himself. James Jones was a self-asserted Messiah, a self-acclaimed Messiah to the world, and led people down a road of destruction and death. Jude says in verse number eleven, in close here. Woe to them. Woe. This is the first of many woes to come. 
on the doorstep of the book of Revelation, there will be many woes. Revelation 8.13 And behold, and behold, the heaven, I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of which the trumpet of the angels which are yet to sound. Woe unto the day of the apostate church. Woe unto the great harlot. I'm telling you, there are days of woe coming and even are at our doorstep now. Woe! My message to you as a pastor is woe! If your proclivities and your preferences dictate what you take and what you leave out of the Word of God. If you want to debate me on something that I've said and take dispute with me, that's fine. But we're not debate when it comes to God's Word. What is truth says? Do you identify yourself as part of this church, yet you did not arrive through the blood of the Lamb? Have you infiltrated this group like the Egyptians of old when they left Egypt, the mixed multitude? You're here this morning and you're lost and you need to be saved. You need to repent and believe the Gospel. All those in that mixed multitude were sorted out and done away with in hell. Listen, you need to come and trust Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to bow your proclivities, bow your wants and desires to His cross. Don't be fooled by the false teachers that are so pervasive today in their vain imaginations and foolish, darkened hearts. They will lead you to nowhere but the charred walls of the damned. Trust Christ today. Don't be fooled by the false teaching and the purveyors of this do-it-yourself religion, Jude is clear it won't cut it. It won't cut it. Come to Christ today. Let's all stand to our feet. As Kevin brings a song of invitation, every head bowed and every eye closed, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come to know that common salvation where every man comes by the way of the cross. Oh, come and look at that. Come and look at the blood running down from His hands and feet. Come see, come see the love and sorrow mingled down from the brow of the Lord Jesus. Come to that common salvation. Come and embrace Him as Lord and Savior. Put your trust in Him and Him alone. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray Your Holy Spirit would take the words of Scripture and would penetrate the heart. God, they'd come to know You in saving faith. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I'm trusting to We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The unseen hand.